You are listening to the Mary Jane Society Podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, a cannabis-friendly marketing agency. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, a marketing and public relations specialist in the cannabis industry. What does it take to go from legacy to legal in Arizona? Today we meet Chris Martin. He grew up in foster care in Kansas and moved to Arizona, where he was busted for cannabis, served time, and had another brush with the law and faced life in prison. Most people would crush under these circumstances, but Chris fought back for him and his family, and he now owns multiple cannabis CPG brands, a nonprofit, and was recently awarded licenses for a vertical operation in New Mexico. He claims Arizona is not welcoming to mom and pop or legacy operators because the cost to operate is cost prohibitive for anyone other than a well-funded corporation. Lots to talk about. Let's meet Chris. Hey, Chris. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. So you're in Arizona? Uh, Correct. Phoenix. In Phoenix. Oh, cool. Very great. I, I'm so focused on this part of the world. I'm in the Northeast. I'm in New York City. And uh, okay. I'm excited to kind of hear your story and what's going on down there, because uh, I seem to be focused up here. So I'm kind of excited about that, as well as hearing about your whole story. So <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. So let, let's just start out with um, you know, understanding your background. Um, as you said, you live in Arizona and um, I know that you spent some time in prison because of drugs and you were released in 2017. You uh, put in an application for expungement in 2018. And um, can you just give us a brief story of that and what led you to where you are today? And then we'll go into all the, you know, all the stuff that you're doing today. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it honestly, it starts way, way, way back. Uh, when I was a kid, I grew up in foster homes. Uh, my, my mom was a cannabis user, which was completely illegal in Kansas. Um, it caused some problems in our home as a kid. I ended up in foster homes and boys homes after that. Um, so moving out here to play college baseball, I was super excited when I was 18. Um, three months later, I got caught with a joint in my dorm room and I got three years in prison. So uh, it was short lived. Um, flash forward 20 years later, I, you know, I became a chef, I owned local restaurants, worked really hard um, here locally as a business owner, and then was diagnosed with Crohn's in 2007. Uh, medical was getting ready to go legal here in 2010, so my wife and I started a brand called Zonka, um, Zonka Bars, like Willy Wonka, I was known as Billy Zonka for 10 years, uh, just making medicated edibles that I donated to Veterans, compassion clubs, collectives, anyone who needed medicine that, you know, we went at medical in 10, but didn't have a dispensary open until 13. So we had a bunch of caregivers running around with medical cards trying to help each other out. Um, 2012, we were raided. I was charged with 15 felonies. Um, I was looking at over 120 years in prison for making edibles, and they charged me as if it was narcotic. So everything read as if I had a meth lab under my house and was selling drugs to children or, you know, as bad as it could possibly be made out um, to be. So um, 2012, we get raided. I look at all this time. We fight the case for three and a half years when it finally dawns on the court that, wait a minute, we can't convict this guy of all this stuff because he didn't do it. 
Um, I ended up getting a two-year plea bargain. Um, and I just spent that two years really focused on what we were going to do to try to make changes, not just with us, our brand, but with laws and on the legal side to try to help other people. We felt like we got a second chance by coming out and not getting life. So we've spent every day just trying to take advantage of it. Wow. So in, in most cases, people would be beaten down by that kind of, you know, scenario uh, and, and just kind of give up. And um, but you obviously chose fighter mode and you know fought it but so wait so arizona legalized when in 2010 we went medically legal okay medical oh medically legal and you started making edibles you were growing and and processing and uh and and making your own edibles in 2012 you said yeah the way it the way it worked here, yes, in 2012, we could have a caregiver license, so we could grow plants for other patients, and I believe we could have five patients each, so we could have up to 60 plants each, and once we harvested, we had like 25 pounds, so when I called the state, I was like, look, I don't want to lose this medicine, but I know I'm out of compliance, and I don't really want to get in trouble for it. They told me to destroy it all. Um, I, I just couldn't do that. There, it's it's hard enough for these patients to get their medicine, much less burning it or throwing it all away because of a crappy law. So I did it and I turned it into edibles and, you know, it cost me, but it also thrust the change forward. You know, it really forced the issue on these laws because what are they going to do? Arrest everyone and throw everyone in jail for life. Right. Um, I feel like being on the forefront, we really pushed the envelope and kind of made the state make a decision on how they were going to handle cases like ours. So basically, you started making edibles based on your um, your uh, Crohn's disease symptoms, right. and you did did different combinations of what how what 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 was the combination? Was it you know what was the ratio? Were you doing different ratios of different cannabinoids and THC or? Just curious. Yes, at that time it was early on in the game, so I was still figuring out what worked for me. Um, RSO, FICO is, is always the, the big go-to now with Crohn's, but back then, yeah, we were working ratios, one-to-ones, three-to-ones, ten-to-ones, whatever we could find to work, but it wasn't only us, we were trying to figure it out, I and mean, we had cancer patients, you know, and on down, from, from AIDS on down, you name it, so we were trying to figure out lots of different things to get them help, but the thing was, there weren't anywhere, there was nowhere to do that, there, there were no kitchens to do that in, so we were doing it at home, we were, you know, sending lab things to the lab to get tested independently on our own. Even when we got rated, 100 pieces of evidence against me were all lab results showing that we were actually doing it right and trying to show people what's in their medicine before it was ever mandated as law anyway. Right. Um, to us, it really felt more of a political move. You know, for us to go this long without getting in any trouble and then right before the dispensaries open, we get trouble. Um, it, it just seemed kind of a setup, especially now that we've been in this industry for almost 15, you know, 18 years now, and we can't get our products on a legal shelf here now after we paved the road for it. But I could go to New Mexico and get my license in a matter of eight days. So it just shows the political power here. Um, it's a very corporate state now. Uh, mom and pop or legacy brands like my own that have been around since the beginning are not welcome. We, we are not welcomed and we are crushed out of this industry, which is sad because, you know, the patients still come to us for help. They, they try to go to a dispensary, but half the time they can't find FICO. And if they do, it's $60 a gram or more. 
So it's it's one of those things where we're still standing on the mountaintop screaming and fighting to show what's happening. But in the meantime, we also have to look out for our best interest in the brand and the company and even the family and decide, you know, is Arizona going to be the final place for our business? It, it's not conducive for it the way it's set up now. Um, so you're saying that you you couldn't do it. So you had to go to New Mexico, basically. Yeah. So we actually got made it back onto the legal market in 2018. Uh, we relaunched the products, got them in dispensaries. We're making them on shelves. But then we saw how crooked the system was. I'm paying 30 grand a month to rent out a 500 square foot spot. And the dispensary won't even sell my products. They have five locations and won't even help me sell my products, but expect me to pay all this rent. Um, it, it, what do you mean? You have a not, what do you mean they won't help you sell your products? You mean in in a dispensary that you're selling your products in another dispensary? Yeah, yeah. So if I produce out of Nirvana, we would hope that Nirvana would either help distribute or sell our product. You know, we we owe them rent, we owe them money, we have demand and patients that want the product. Let's just put the stuff on the shelf. And it seemed like a power struggle because every corporate rest, uh, corporate dispensary that we've been a part of or, or came in and tried to help. They end up reverse engineering everything that you do. They allow you to stick around for about a year. And then when they've learned everything that you know, they don't need you anymore. And that's really oh. what's going on. Oh, so you mean, so they're making their own products that they're Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm they're the not chocolate guy. They come watch me. And then within six months, I'm not needed anymore. They come out with their own chocolate launch. Um, it's oh. really a battle of attrition. It's a battle of I don't know. The social equity program out here was a joke. I can tell you, my wife and I are both applicants. We were approached by some of the larger groups out here, you know, Mint, Debbie's, you name it, some of the larger groups that own the state. When we went in to talk with them, we sat down and we're excited. Like, look, we got invited to a table that we've never been invited to. We felt like we built the table, but now we have to ask to sit at it. When we walk into these dispensaries, Every single dispensary response was the same to us. The first thing they tell us is, yes, we are going to win licenses, so you want to sign with us. Me and my wife look at each other like, ooh, that sounds really cringy and, and, and shady. So we look at them and we say, okay, well, what's the situation? The state says we are 51% owners of this license, but the dispensaries don't agree. So the first dispensary what we went into, they offered us 5%. They said, we will give you 5% of the license. You won't make your product here. You won't even sell your product on our shelves, nor will you be a part of the operations. You will get what is known as a mailbox check. And honestly, after I looked at 127 years and had my kids held at gunpoint in front of their school and all the other terrible things that happened to my family, I have never been more disrespected in my life. Like you're spitting on people who have paved the way so you can come get rich off of a plant that you don't even use that's what's frustrating for us half these guys don't even touch this medicine or know how it works or know how to sell it know how to make it or any of it but they will brag about getting seven social equity licenses at once and all of them went to applicants that didn't even go to prison oh god oh so they're just trying to bring you on as a social equity applicant so they can get that license yeah, the way they do it is the more applications they file, obviously it raises their opportunities. So what they did is they went out and they paid for everybody's application filing fee. So the Mint, for example, one big dispensary, they probably dropped 5,000 application fees for everyone to up their opportunity to get those licenses in which I've heard they 
they definitely want at least two, if not five. So, it, so it's just so some social equity um, applicants went with the these these corporate guys and and made the deal basically. Well, almost all of them did. Um, very few people went out and put their own five thousand dollar application fee in because most of them probably didn't have it or they didn't trust the system. They really we saw what happened with our lottery out here when it came to the initial 203 and all of our licenses, it was a, it wasn't a lottery. Uh, if you watch the film that they showed on the health department website, it was literally a laptop with a guy pushing the down arrow, scrolling through a spreadsheet of all the names that were already picked. It, it, it was not a lottery. It was not a draw. I don't care what they tell you. Um, if, it's just not how it goes. These big corporations came in and dropped all this money to secure all these licenses. And that's exactly what happened. And it's going to happen across the country. MPP and all these other groups are pushing it. I mean, I've watched it from Washington to Oregon. I, if no one looks around and sees what these other states are doing next to them, that's why we're in this predicament. Um, just watch um, the history. Unbelievable. Oh, my God. You you know, you hear the stories. Everybody's screaming about corporate America coming through, but to hear the details of, of you know, it actually happening, you know, it's just an yeah. eye-opener. We've got a fight right now. As Senate Bill 1271, that's on the books right now, and it's the ADA fighting against, they're battling over the Deltas right now because they want to pass a bill that's going to allow all of us to sell Delta, and the ADA is obviously fighting against that because they want to monopolize Deltas. So it, it's just this corporate thing, just extending and continuing on. And honestly, we've been in business longer than any of these dispensaries have been here. And we look at each other and just kind of my wife and I and the, the team and we're like, you know, I just don't know if Arizona is where we're going to stay. You know, I, I hate it. 30 years. I got grandkids here. You know, my, my companies have all started here. My nonprofit helps the community here. But um, if I want to continue doing business, you know, with cannabis at all and not be on a traditional market looking over my shoulder again, you know, I, I can't, I can't stay. Wow. That's so sad. So, all right. So let's go to the timeline then. I, I know you've, um, you have some licenses um, uh, in New Mexico, I believe. So you've, you've started a nonprofit, you have a CBD brand, a cannabis brand, right? A CPG brand, a cafe, because you're a chef and you've been awarded these licenses in New Mexico. So basically you've been operating your cannabis brands in Arizona and CBD brands, but now you're, you're taking the jump over to New Mexico for all the reasons you were just talking about. Okay. Correct. Yeah. The price here, we, I mean, just to lease a license is 30 grand a month and that doesn't include your location or any of your cogs. I mean, you're going to spend a hundred grand a month just to survive as a business. So that tells you what you need to do in sales just to be here. 30,000 in fees and licensing fees a month? Oh yeah, absolutely. That's just to lease it. And that's not even the taxes on and no. not, not no. And then If you sell your product to these dispensaries, most of the time they put you on a net 90. And then if your products don't sell in 90 days, guess who has to come buy them back? Yeah. You know, or you're paying two grand for the shelf space just to get your product on the shelf. And I've got 60 SKUs. You know what I mean? Like, I, I can't afford that. 
Oh, so so it is the pay to play to get onto the shelves. I mean, I know they do it in other industries, so I know, but it's just so sad because this, this is how corporatized it is. Just for your example, um, I filed my pardon last year because obviously myself and everyone else thought that all the felonies were a joke and not what we wanted to do or be a part of or any of that stuff. So I filed a pardon because I wanted it to go away. I wanted to, to show everyone what we were doing. In order to do that, I wanted to go talk to Normal, and I wanted to go talk to our local organizations, and I wanted to get a PR team on it and, and get focused. We have a group down here called MEDA. MEDA is like the Marijuana Industry Trade Association. That's where all the bigwigs and all the corporate people and all the out-of-staters come in and come over and take over our state. Well, when I found out that the PR team that I hired was actually on the board for MEDA, it made me question, like, wait a minute, this is all connected. Like, why are these people all scratching each other's backs? So I went to the PR team and I said, hey, look, you know, I've got to sign you guys. I've got to get this pardon done, but I have some questions and I want to know what the connections are here. They quit me. They dropped me in a heartbeat. The PR team actually told me, she lied to me and told me, uh, it's proven media. She told me that her whole team quit. Their whole team quit. Everybody quit. Nobody's left. She can't run her business. The following weekend was MJ BizCon, which is huge. Everyone knows what MJ BizCon is. We were out at MJ BizCon, obviously, with our brands. And guess who I saw there? The PR team with her whole staff. Nobody quit. There was nobody there. It was all because of my background with disclosing what happens in this industry. And with me having that, that risk factor of me saying the wrong thing or do, you know, telling on somebody about how crooked they are on this side. And they dropped us. They would not do any PR. She, she literally lied to me. And right then, that's when I went back and did research and I saw her. She's on the board for Mita. So it's a complete conflict of interest for her to support me and then to go back and be on the board of Mita. She's, she's serving two masters at that point. So um, I had no idea how connected all this stuff was until I got raided. I, I didn't want to, one, I didn't want to know all this stuff. And two, I really wished it wasn't true because I of all people, believed we had a fair chance. I thought we really were going to get a fair chance at this. And without having seven or more zeros in my bank, I just don't see how that's possible. Oh, it's so disappointing. Oh, God. And I see it playing out here, too. Oh, my God. It, history will continue to repeat itself unless we make a change. And this is why we went to New Mexico. New Mexico is thriving on mom and pop. You know, they're limiting plant counts. They're taxing plants if you grow so many. They're, they're trying to keep it for legacy and mom and pop to come operate by letting anybody come get a license for, you know, you can get a micro license integrated right now, vertical for 1500 bucks. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah it, it's- It's it, doable. It's doable. Right. And that's where I feel, look, it doesn't have the population Phoenix has or Arizona has, and I get that. But we're a national brand that's been around a long time with a really crazy story pushing us and an amazing product line that does a good job. That's been here 10 years through all this drama. So I feel like it doesn't matter where we go. You know, we're good at what we do. The product's good at what it does. Everything else just kind of falls into line. I just want to get somewhere where we're supported. You know, when you call New Mexico and you talk to them about the licensing, they answer your questions. They want you to succeed. Arizona will run you through so much red tape send you down tunnels that you don't come out of like they don't want you here they want the money here all they care about is the money like you know, i'm a crohn's guy it doesn't matter whether i am involved with a dispensary license or not i am always going to use cannabis 
period. And it doesn't matter. It's something that I'm attached to forever. And I know hundreds of thousands of people that are the same way. They don't want to get treated like crap at a dispensary because it's corporate now. They want to be welcomed. They want to be helped. They, they want to get medicine, not sugar-filled gummies, which is the number two seller nationally right now, but we're supposed to be a medical program. Like, you know, it just doesn't make sense. We all know it makes money. That's what the bottom line is. Yeah, yeah. And did you say, is New Mexico a limited license state? Do you know? It's not, not right now. Yeah, yeah you know, they... Uh, over 200 plants, they tax you per plant, trying to keep those larger grows, you know, to a oh, minimum so, or at least make money. Oh, I see. So they'll start taxing you at a certain level to keep to keep things. Yeah, got it. Oh, okay, gotcha. So did that's you, their idea of trying to keep it under under control. Okay, so for the timeline, so you you started a CBD brand first, is that right? That's yes. Yeah, so after we got raided. Um, we didn't have anything, you know, $2 million asset forfeiture. Uh, every piece of property I owned was gone. Uh, we, we lost everything. I came out of jail with, with a trash bag of clothes and had to rent the room for my family. Like it was, it was the scariest thing I've ever been through. Wow. So I, I took a job as an executive chef over at a place called Crust, uh, an Italian chain restaurant down here in, in Scottsdale. I was making like maybe 30 or 40 grand a year. Just, I mean, anything I could do to put food on the table and a roof over our head. I told my wife that, you know, I feel like that we're not done in cannabis and hemp. I feel like we still have more work to do and I wasn't ready to give up. So I took our top three selling cannabis products and I converted them to hemp. I, mm -hmm. I converted them all to a CBD, a lip balm, a lotion, and a tincture. I put them on a Wix website that I built on my phone. And I posted it on my Facebook page, which we had never even been on social media before. We had never been, because uh, we're traditional market. I wasn't trying to get raided or get yeah. in trouble. Yeah. So I wasn't on social media or any of that. But then we launched this Facebook page. You know, people telling us your, your case needs to be heard. You can get some help that way. I put this website up in my, I don't know, like my first week at work, my phone is blowing up. I looked down at 63 orders for products. What? So I called my wife and I did. I called my wife and I go, babe, I, I think I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to come home and make this product. And I thought I was getting divorced. She's like, are you kidding me, babe? I was going to say, at, how did you not get a divorce? She's like, we're, we're, we're looking at life right now. I mean, the biggest case in Arizona history and you're going to quit. And I said, babe, just trust me. And she looked at me and she goes, that's the only thing I've ever done. And from that point on, um, we've never gone back to work. We, we've owned this company, opening up four locations and national distribution, white label and wholesale. And it worked. It worked, damn it. Um, so Hempful was born from that. I had an investor see our brand on Facebook of all places. And he said, you know what, man? I love your branding. I love your tenacity. Can I come see your facility? And at that time, my wife and I were making everything in our kitchen at home. So, you know, I, I'm not a liar and I'm not a, a scammer, but I will fight for my family. And when I'm looking at life, I will do whatever it takes. So I got on Craigslist and I, I rented a kitchen for the weekend as a chef doing a wedding. And I set this kitchen up, looked like a lab. It had a dining room and a retail spot. And when the investors came in and they saw the production area and they were impressed. I mean, we're talking 2013, 
pretty early on in the game. So they're looking around going, man, this is pretty slick. And they saw the restaurant and they go, well, what are you going to do over there? And before I could even think, I spit out Hempful Farms Cafe, hemp infused juices, smoothies, coffees, breakfast and lunch. And he said, here's a hundred grand for 20% of your company. So before I got sentenced, before I even went to court, I landed a hundred thousand dollar investment. So my wife could run the company just in case I didn't come home. Because uh, I still didn't know I could get life, you know, 100 grand is not a lot of money, but it's better than what we're doing right, right now. So at that moment, I looked at my wife and I told her, we're going to be okay. Like, I, I still didn't know that I wasn't going to get life, but the universe has a really weird way of showing you that things are going to be okay. And that was just the first little step in the staircase of things being okay. We we knew that we were on to something. We were kind of the newbies at it in our area. Um, and now people just love what we do. They love the story behind it and the product sells itself. I mean, it's, it's cannabinoids. They do their yeah. job. I don't have, I don't have to do anything. I just talk about it. <laughs> wow. What a story. I love that. Setting up the kitchen. That's amazing. Oh, I really, yeah, I don't like admitting that I lied or I was, no, no, that's not a lie. I'm just trying to live. <laughs> that's not a lying story. That is resourceful. That is grit. That is how you have to make it happen. Oh, no, I think that is a great story. Um, just because you didn't have it set up then didn't mean you couldn't have it in the future. And that's what you saw. And that's what they would be investing in. So I, great story. So let's go to all the other cool things that you've been doing too, because <laughs> now we've yeah. been on an hour. So I, I, I knew I was going to like get caught up in some of these stories. We might not even be able to get to all this but um i guess um how about all the awards that you've won um or that you you're i guess you're up for nine uh category awards with the arizona cannabis and music awards can you tell us about that sure yeah last year we won three awards with that same organization which was the most awards by one company in the whole event so we won best rosin we won best capsule and we won best tincture, I believe. And the funny thing is, is our rosin hadn't been on the shelf in two years. So it just shows you the quality of what we do and the lasting memories and, and you know, uh, ideas that we leave on people. Um, people really like what we do. Um, so this year we were nominated for nine more uh, different categories in that same award program. But the most important award of all, we just found out on Monday that we got nominated for the Blood, Sweat, and Tears Award that's given out by the Crohn's Charity Service Foundation um, and at MJ BizCon in November at, at the Stratosphere at the very, very top, um, I will get my um, award given to me by Colton Turner, which was the recipient last year for the award. So it's, uh, it's probably my our biggest accomplishment. It, it's the award that recognizes caregivers and patients. Um, you see all these awards that are given to brands and to companies and corporate, and you ask yourself like, how, why, what? And, and you work your butt off all these years wondering like, is this doing any good? And then you get this award and you feel humble and you feel almost small because I doubted it <laughs> at all. You know, I knew that what we were doing is really good work for people and it just makes me feel good. And I've never done it for a award, but man, 
when I got that call, that was the first time I had ever been in tears over an award. I was just like, oh. And, and, and is that because you have found alternative uh, medicines to treat uh, Crohn's? Is that basically what they're saying? It's yeah. like outside of what the pharmaceutical companies are doing, you as a caregiver uh, discovered new ways to treat it? Yeah, that and, and we go out on a limb to help others. You know, if if somebody in California or somebody in New York or somebody needs medicine, I make sure they get it. Mm. And if I if I got to drive it, if I have to mm-hmm. do whatever, I will get that medicine there. Um, and it's not about money. It, it's never been about money. I, I could have signed deals long ago that would have made my family really rich. And that's just not why we're here. I mean, I'm still sick with Crohn's, whether I'm rich or not. Um, yeah. It doesn't have yeah. anything do with that and I can't take any of that money with me if I'm gone tomorrow so I don't know I just I care more about watching somebody walk in and tell me my sister was stage three and she's cured now that, yeah. that's that's where my passion's here and that's honestly why I know I was put on this planet I it, it took prison and it took all this other crazy stuff to happen but I know now that my message and my plight is here to help people it's whether it's teaching a cooking class to an 11 year old on how to make mother sausage or it's showing a 65-year-old that cannabis isn't the, the bad thing anymore like they were taught. You know, right. I just know that this is the reason I'm here. So what is the status of your licenses in New Mexico and which licenses yeah. did you get? And So we found out that in New Mexico, they went wreck in January and that the licensing process was open a lot like Oklahoma had been mm-hmm. before they capped it. So I looked at my wife and I go, what do you think? And we honestly both, didn't think anything. We thought uh, they're probably going to run your name and go ha 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 and, and run you through the gamut, you know. And so we dropped the money and found out it was totally different. It, these people actually called. They actually answered our call. They answered our emails. They they were like, yes, we want you here. We want your business. We And in eight days, we had applied. So we applied for cultivation. We applied for um, production and we pl- applied for dispensary uh, retail we got all three of them we were vertical and got all three of them it was amazing it was probably the best so uh, move we've be, made so you're going to be growers manufacturers of the products that you've made popular in arizona and nationwide and you're going to have your own dispensary you're vertically integrated Correct. so are Correct. you moving to arizona uh, to to New Mexico. I mean, I'm sorry, to New Mexico. Yeah, you know that's still kind of the the talk. Um, we might have to. I, I don't know how we could successfully run them both right. so far away, from, you know, six hours apart. And the cool part is, hemp can be produced anywhere. I don't have to be here to right. do it. So I, I can move my production. Our thought process is this: we do a great job in retail here. We have a great client base here. People love us. I don't want to lose that, and I really don't want to piss on them because what the dispensaries are doing to everyone here so we're thinking let's just relocate the the retail space to a smaller spot over in a better location with foot traffic lose that overhead and then find a location you know we i've got a five thousand square foot kitchen production and retail location here that i I produce all my hemp stuff in um i'll just find that there and, and, and we'll produce everything like we did there the difference in new mexico though you can have a lounge Lounges are legal there. So as long as it's at a separate address, people can buy their medicine and go consume it. So we are super excited to get involved with that on a 
entertainment side you know that's kind of what we do we've been in the restaurant industry for 30 years so this is right up our alley oh my god that sounds so amazing that just sounds really yeah, we're, we're at the cap raise now so we didn't even write a business plan when i filed the application i really didn't think we were going to get it so i didn't want to waste time and money on a business plan which is the dumbest decision probably um, just because I, I didn't want to be disappointed. I didn't want to put all my work into this thing and then them go, nope, you didn't get it. Now I got this great business plan for nothing. No. Um, but now we're cap raising. So now I'm finishing my business plan and we're going to cap raise. I feel like we are a strategic partner away from really big things in this country. And maybe we can compete with some of these big guys and maybe even come back to Arizona and get one of those licenses one day. Yeah, seriously. Wow, that is wow. I just yay for you and your wife and your family. She must well, and yay for my wife. I, I do want to throw that out there. My my Obviously. wife doesn't get nearly the, she doesn't get the credit um that she should. She ran this whole thing while I was gone. She made sure things went off without a hitch. I would take phone calls from prison, you know, I would get my 15-minute collect call and we would sit in a in a meeting with the dispensary group making a sale and my wife did all of it she made all of that happen so when we when i get this award i always say we because i couldn't do this alone it's not just about me and those nights where i lay in bed in tears like no one loves me and i help all these people and they hate me and blah blah she's the one hugging me going that's not why you do it you do it because you love to do it remember that remember why so i just want to throw that out there because she doesn't get enough credit at all and she, Right now, she's in the back making dog treats while I'm on TV and, and doing interviews, you know? And yeah. I just, I, she's the reason. She, if, if it wasn't my, my love for her and her passion for us and what we do, I mean, I would have gave up a long time ago. I, I, like you said, you get beat down and you don't want to stick yeah. it out sometimes, but she's yeah. the reason. Oh, that's so great way to end this, honestly. That just almost makes me cry. 22 years. We've been together yeah. 22 years. She's my best friend. She, I love her more today than I did the day I fell in love with her. Oh my God. That's so amazing. Wow. What a great story. Okay. Well, we didn't cover everything, but that's okay because that was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Well, um, that's what the book and the doctor are about. You know, people can go get the book and the doco and there's yes. more to learn. Go, go yes. see this. Yes, I'm going to put all those links. Uh, okay, right. You have the book, you have the documentary. Uh, yeah. We didn't even get to the prison cooking show. Ah, yes. Haters Make Me Famous is the book and the documentary. And the doctor. Oh, okay. Um, the book is called One Life. One Life. Okay. And I'm going to put all those links in, in into the show notes. So, uh, wow, you're a busy guy and... And you know what? Yay for you. What an inspiration for you and your wife. Like I said, most people would be beaten down and just crawl away, but you just came out swinging and that's where you are today. So you're a big inspiration to me, I'll tell you. That, that's a big Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. 
Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at DopeHistory.com.